Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this very special edition of Ignite Radio Live. It is November 8th, 2016, on the night of election. And uh, if you're like us, you probably have a mix of butterflies, a mix of apprehension, uh, anticipation. Um, what an amazing couple of months and let's just say years um, we've all experienced, unlike any we've ever experienced in human history. And our particular election really reveals not simply something about the election, about a couple candidates, but it reveals something about our entire culture at large. And if we're really honest, um, looking in the mirror, it really may even reveal something about us personally. Um, you know, Ali, Ellie Wassell, who was a concentration camp survivor, said, all it takes for evil to exist is for good men to do or say nothing. And it may be worth us asking, and I'm looking in the mirror myself, you know, what difference, if you will, have we made to help forge a civilization of love? You know, certainly the Holy Mass is the heart of it, for us to be faithful Catholics, for us to be observant Catholics. But are we giving testimony? Are we giving witness? And I want to address that tonight because very shortly you're going to hear uh, a couple of testimonies from some young people that I think um, you're going to be very moved by. And uh, maybe we should just begin by looking at Revelations 12:11. This book, Revelations, used to be called the Apocalypse. And that word apocalypse, literally the root, um, apocalypsis, literally means unveiling. It corresponded to the Hebrew wedding feast, which lasted about a week long. And the height of the wedding feast was the unveiling of the bride. So you had this beautiful ceremony going on throughout a week. Friends and uh, relatives, of course, gathered around. It was, uh, you know, a, a tremendous festive celebration that they took very earnestly. The high point, again, the unveiling of the bride. And that term was used to describe salvation history that truly Scott Hahn marvelously articulates this and made it accessible to many of us Catholics, that um, the, the, the whole purpose of our existence and all of scripture is about this wedding feast of the body of Christ with, with Jesus, with God in all eternity forever. And it is all a process of unveiling. God didn't just come on the scene right after Adam and Eve fell and, and save us right away. This is sort of an answer, if you will, to one of the questions. Why doesn't God, why isn't he practical like us Americans? You know, if the, if the toilet is broken, you know, you got to get it fixed right away. We attend to it right away. When I get bent out of shape, if a smallest thing is out of place and it needs to be repaired or fixed, right? I do it right away. That isn't the way God worked. He didn't work immediately. He had the power to do so. And we may ask the question, why didn't you just rush in and do it? It makes sense to me. But no, our God is a God of mystery. He's a God of wonder. And he wants to enrapture us. There's a romantic thing going on here. That our, the Trinitarian God, who is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, want to draw us into this love affair, this love relationship with him, more than just infatuation, but the very nature of love revealed in Jesus Christ to sacrifice ourselves for one another. So that's apocalypsis. We are in the midst of this unveiling of uh, unveiling of God's love for us and our choosing to love him in return and find ourselves truly in a holy communion. Where do we hear that? The Mass, right? So Revelations 12, 11. Let's just ask, are we aware of the work of the enemy? Are we aware of his influence in the world around us? When we open up the paper, when we see the media, when we hear the kind of songs and the influences that surround us, are we aware of the work of the enemy, the one who'd want to distract us from our dignity as sons and daughters of God and Jesus Christ? 
Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, are we aware of his influence trying to distract us from our dignified identity as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, who puts in front of us, instead of self-sacrifice, many examples of consuming, who wants to point us to another thing to promise us fulfillment that absolutely cannot fulfill? Do we not see that happening again and again? Yes, we see the influence of the enemy. And if we're honest, if we do examination of our souls, we see that our desires, I got my hand in the air, our desires are fixed on things that will not fulfill, will not satisfy. So the influence of the enemy is around us, it is within us. And so in Revelations 12, 11, it talks about how they defeated him. How do we defeat the enemy? Nowhere in here does it say they defeated him by voting or by election or by political processes. Jesus did not reveal to us that the enemy would be conquered by political processes. Now, don't get me wrong. Politics, faith, voting is what we have to be involved in um, the public sphere, in politics to make a difference. It does have a faith message, a faith meaning. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that we're going to see the enemy conquered by politics. But it does say in this passage, they defeated him by the blood of the Lamb, which of course is the Holy Mass, and the word of their testimony. Are we given testimony is the question. In the most easy and simple ways in our marriages, are we giving testimony to our spouses? Are we giving testimony to our children? And let me just take a moment here and say that does not mean preachy, self-righteous articulation of spiritual truths. It does not mean opening up the catechism per se and just reading what, what that's all about. Certainly, to know the truths of our faith are absolutely critical. But the testimony has always implied and meant a personalization. It has meant our interiorizing what God has done for us. Of those who go to Mass, 40% question if a relationship with God is even possible. Is that you? Do you question if God is really, truly, personally alive and present in your life such that you can give personal testimony? If somebody came up to you and said, can you give me reason for faith in Jesus Christ? 1 Peter 3.15, it's the basis of Father Larry Richard's Reason for Our Hope Foundation. Can you give uh, a response to the question, what is the reason for your hope in Jesus Christ? And more than just giving them, again, catechetical truths or theological knowledge, can you convey personally what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? Because that's how we defeat the power of the enemy. And I would say to, um, to you, and as I, I look in the mirror, it requires humility in saying, hey, I'm broken. I'm still working this out. Maybe it has to do with struggles right now you're dealing with in your marriage. Maybe it has to do with struggles that you're dealing with with your children or um, in your home. All of these things are areas that God needs us to give testimony to his active, present love, his transforming love. He needs us to talk about it. And obviously, it doesn't mean setting up a soapbox necessarily in the middle of the city or, or anywhere. It does mean, though, being attuned to people in our lives and listening to what they have to say and finding the right way to engage them and say, hey, let me share with you, I get what you're going through. In fact, let me tell you, I'm going through the same thing, but I want to give testimony that God is with you. You know, you're going to see the defeating of the enemy in their life and in your life. We've got to give testimony. It's a non-negotiable. It's not just for those people on EWTN radio or TV or whatever. It's not just for those great eloquent speakers. It's for you and for me. Our silence, our absence of appropriately sharing our faith in what God is doing and an ability to even reflect and understand it, much less articulate it, is essential 
for us to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. He does not act by his choice. God does not act, in most cases, apart from us. He could snap his fingers and accomplish anything he wanted, but he chooses in his love to work through you and to work through me. In the smelly stable that is our lives, God is dignified when we recognize it, when we seek him, and when we give testimony. All right, so we're going to turn right now to a a couple talks, if you will, from a parish ignition mission. Uh, What is parish ignition? It's a three-night parish mission that we do at Mass Impact. You can find out more at massimpact.us. So three nights, and each night focuses on one of the movements of Christ that correspond to the essential movements of our lives. Empty, fill, and overflow, simply put overflows to those around us, that we can't help but tell the story. We can't help but give testimony. So each of those three nights are an endeavor to put us in the driver's seat of God alive in us as a way of life, empty, fill, and overflow. And uh, what is particularly moving, I guess, for me is that we have a youth track and an adult track simultaneously going on. So while Stephanie and I are uh, speaking to the adults, um, our children are engaging the high school youth. And so what you're going to hear tonight are a few talks from our children, Joseph and John Paul. We invite you to tune in and maybe, you know, hear, not perfect, right? Um, You're going to even hear perhaps them (laughs) frame me, frame my wife, wonderful or imperfect as parents, and that's all part of their testimony. And you know what? I'm not embarrassed. I'm delighted. As parents, we know we're imperfect. In fact, the more you recognize our our imperfection, praise God, that any good you see come out of anything we're doing, there's no um, temptation to think it's from any excellence that we possess, but the power of God alive. So I celebrate the, uh, if you will, acknowledging of the warts that I have. Praise God. Because then any good that you see come out of me or anything that we're doing points towards God alive. And, And don't just listen to them. Consider in your own life, Who are those God has given to you? What is your testimony? How is God active in your life and where are you communicating it? A final commercial, presenceforchristmas.com, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E-F-O-R, Christmas.com. Check it out. Uh, Substantially discounted tickets, and that's just to cover the cost of meals, awesome speakers. It's going to be at St. John's Jesuit, December 1st, Thursday. Includes a dinner. Dan Demate, who's a star from A&E's, God of the Girl. Uh, He's also a speaker and author with Matthew Kelly's Dynamic Catholic, followed by an Ignite-like adoration. Uh, Father Matt Rader is going to be presiding with a phenomenal worship musician, uh, Brendan O'Rourke. And then we're going to close with a, we're going to end it with a coffee house that night. So uh, awesome recording artists, some of you are familiar with Joshua Cannon and Cassandra Acree. Please join us um, for this very special event. There is limited seating, um, and we do we do expect a great turnout. Uh, and we have discount going on for perhaps a week yet. So. I would register right now at presentsforchristmas.com and spread the word. Easy evangelization. Just invite your family and friends. This is that kind of event, the kind of event that's an easy entry for somebody who maybe goes to church but not entirely intentional about their faith or somebody who hasn't seen the inside of church ever. It's an event that they're really going to be, it's going to be a warm evening that will really engage them. So God bless you. On with the show. So I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, yeehaw. Um, well, we've grown, born and raised Catholic, grown in a Catholic family. As you saw, my dad can be pretty intense, right? I mean, he just like, 
very into the faith and very talking about it and whatever. It's funny because it's always interesting living with him because like we'll be like watching like a movie or like a TV show, you know, and like we'll just he'll be like, ah, I'm like, yeah, what'd you think of it? And just like. Pretty, it was pretty good. I liked it. It was, it was nice. And he goes off on like all these different theological parallels and like um, these all these different ways to apply it in the theological sense. And he's like, whoa! Like all I knew is that there was an explorer and she was Spanish. Like I don't know. Let's let me go binge watch Dora again. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't watch Dora. I'm definitely more of a Teletubbies guy. Um, anyway, so there was that, and then there was also the fact that like we would always. Um, Every, people ask us, because we're all homeschooled, and people ask us, like, you know, like, do you guys get, like, theology classes? Like, how do you get, like, your theology? And I'm like, I just laugh. I'm like, every car ride? Like, literally, every single time we go on a car ride, like, my dad will just start, like, monologuing about something and, like, give us, like, some exhortation on whatever, the magisterium and whatever it may be. Literally, like, when we were, like, two years old, he was, like, having us retell the whole salvation history story in every car ride. Like, you get these, like, kids talking about Abraham and Jacob and Jesus, and, like, we're, like, falling asleep, and then someone mentions death and crucifixion. It's like, what? And, like, then everyone goes back to sleep again. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a snapshot of my family. Um, just growing up, faith was super important to us. Faith was, um, as I'm sure many of you growing in Catholic families, um, faith is something that's just kind of been a part of everything. Um, however, I think for me especially, and I'm, I'm sure all of you guys can relate to this, um, as we begin to grow older and um, begin to make decisions for ourselves and begin to, our brains are, are growing, hopefully, I don't know if that could be said about me, um, but our brains are hopefully, brains are hopefully growing, and um, we're starting to think about things, we're starting to question things, and a lot of times that means questioning our faith. It means we think of like, okay, is God really real? Does he really matter in my life? Is he there? Is he present? What does it mean to follow him? What is the cost? And is it worth it? Um, and I kind of, these questions started going through my mind because, um, you know, you're growing and you're figuring out your place in the world, figuring out where you're at. And so these questions begin to grow. And a lot of this was taking place uh, during uh, our move from Erie, Pennsylvania to Toledo, Ohio, where we're at now. Our eyes are being opened. When you're younger, you know, you see your parents and they seem to be like perfect angels, right? I hate, although I hate when people are all like, yeah, you know, when you're younger, like your parents are like, you, th you think they're angels and then you get in your teenage years and then you think they know nothing and then you find out that they're right all along. Um, but I think we all know, every single one of us here, parents aren't perfect. Like they can be wrong, they make mistakes and it can be frustrating sometimes. And so I think for me it was especially hard because being um, even homeschooled and just being like, these, these are the people who have taught me my faith. These are the people who are supposed to be my role models. And like, I guess seeing them fail and seeing um, them fall short, it made me question my faith even more. Just, I think all of us can relate to this too. The pressure to um, be fulfilled by somebody. So um, the pressure for affirmation, like a lot of times for me, uh, wanting my dad's, wanting my parents' affirmation, wanting to do everything for them, trying to be the best athlete, the best student, the best musician, whatever, for them, um, trying to gain their approval in that way. And uh, as we know, like, that just doesn't work. A lot of, no matter, I began to feel like no matter what I did, no matter, like, what I tried to do, 
I still was falling short. It still wasn't enough. I still wasn't getting the love, the attention, the admiration I needed. So these things are kind of conflicting. My, my uh, questioning my faith, questioning what's really important to me, and kind of looking for a figure in my life and not really finding it. Like looking for um, being fulfilled by another person and not finding it. So like I said, all this kind of coincided with our move to Toledo. And I was actually kind of excited to move to Toledo. Um, I mean, I loved Erie, but I was excited for a new start. And I wanted to, uh, I came here and I wanted to make a difference, so to speak. I wanted to be, not in the way most people think of it though. I wanted to be known. I wanted to be admired. I wanted to be respected. This hole in my heart that um, I felt like God wasn't filling or my parents weren't filling, I wanted it to be filled by other people around me. I wanted to get attention from others and be affirmed by them and be liked by them. And so I kind of set out to do that. I kind of set out to gain that admiration. And uh, <laughs> I guess it kind of worked. I, I became, people began to like me. I got to get out, go out more. Um, it became popular, and, well, <laughs> as popular as you can when you're homeschooled. Um, but like just, I began to gain these things and I still felt empty inside. I still felt like nothing was really working. Even if I got all the attention and admiration I wanted, it still wasn't enough. The more I had, the more I needed. And it began to kind of like eat away on the inside and it began to corrode my relationship with God because I'm still feeling this empty hole inside. And I'd pray and I'd whatever, I'd talk to him, but like I couldn't really feel anything there. I couldn't feel like God was actually there and present and listening to me. I'm sure all of us have felt that where we're like, you're kind of just like, okay, God, where the heck are you? Like, I'm talking to you. I'm not hearing anything. I can't feel you. I can't see you. Stuff is happening and I don't feel like you're actually there. And I was going through that, and I just kind of felt it eating away on the inside. And I began to stop caring. I began, I knew God was real because of just being raised in the faith and hearing about stories and experiencing different things. But for the most part, I didn't really feel like he cared. Who here knows what, like, a deist is? Does anyone know a deist? Like the deist point of view? Besides John Paul, I'm sure he does. Um, deists believe they were, it's a heresy, actually, so, which means not true. Um, that people believe God is like the ultimate watchmaker, okay? He, um, he built the world like a watch. He like figured out all the components, blah, 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 and he just kind of stepped aside and lets it run. And every once in a while, he'll come in if it's not working and fix it up a bit and leave. Um, but in general, like he just kind of created it and then he steps back and like lets it run on his own. And that's kind of what I, I began to feel like God was to me. Like he was just like, okay, I knew he's there, but I feel like he just doesn't care. He's distant he's separated I can't feel him I can't talk to him like he's just not there for me personally and I began to kind of to um, adhere to this view like this is what's this is what I feel God's just this distant guy and so I kind of stopped like intentionally praying I kind of thought it was pointless and I, I began to seek out more attention more whatever maybe all anything that I could do to fulfill this hole in my heart anything I could do to make me feel better about myself to um, just make me feel anything. It got to the point, <laughs> a lot of times you hear about um, like these big conversion moments, right? Where like someone goes to, like a conference or a talk and like they're just like knocked out and like Jesus just comes and like full on slaps them. Like, what? That's not what like happened to me. Like I didn't have like one conversion moment. I've had many transforming moments. And so um, I got to this point where like I just didn't know like where else to go because I just felt like this, this, this was eating me up inside. Like I really didn't know where to go from here. And so for whatever reason, um, 
I found myself turning kind of back to prayer. Like I said, I still believed in God. I just kind of didn't feel like he cared sometimes. Like he was, he was just off in the distance. But like I began to turn to prayer just for a little bit. I'm like, I had, I, for whatever reason, I had time and I really wasn't doing anything. I was bored. I didn't know what else to do. And I just like went to my room and just started praying. And something clicked there. Like I could just feel God present. And I could, I, I felt him there. And I just felt like this, this peace just like wash over me. It wasn't like a huge moment, but it was just like something I could definitely feel. Just like this peace come over me. I ended up praying again the next day and the next day and the next day. And the more I prayed, the more I just realized how empty I truly was and how these things that I'm trying to fill myself aren't working. And they're just never going to work. No matter how much I get, they're not going to work. Um, and this was all the more reinforced and uh, brought to light when I went to this camp. See why? Um, I went to this camp. I need three volunteers. Raise your hands. Hi. Molly is our soul. Everyone say hi, soul. Hi, soul. This represents our soul. Okay, cool. You are evil. Say hi, evil. Hi, evil. <laughs> and you are God. Say hi, God. Hi, God. Awesome. Okay, um, so our soul. Cool. Yeah, this is our soul. It starts out after we're baptized, it starts out nice, empty, clean, cool, right? Okay, so then this is just going to represent my soul, and I'm sure it represents a lot of you. I'm just going to say some things. Um, so we begin to fill our souls with wanting attention. Um, we begin to fill it with um, wanting um, to be admired, to be popular. Um, we begin to fill it with, uh, we, we start to get impatient with people. We uh, may start to gossip about others, right? We maybe start to... Uh, begin to dis disobey our parents and not listen to them or respect them. We start to turn away from God, to not care, to not spend time praying with Him. Um, we begin to fill our souls with relationships. I'm still making a mess, but that's all right. Um, with relationships. Um, with maybe uh, friends, making friends our God. Or that cute guy who sits across... Wait, this is supposed to be my soul. Um, the cute girl who <laughs> sits across, whatever it may be. We might fill it with, um, this is not me, uh, going out and partying or um, whatever, drugs, whatever. Um, hopefully that's none of you. Uh, come talk to me afterwards. Um, we might begin to fill it with um, impurity or impatience or pride or vanity. Uh, who wants to come shake my hand after this? My hands. <laughs> or Molly's. Um, we begin to fill it with even decent stuff like uh, sports, wanting to be the best in our sports team, or wanting to fill it with wanting to get a good grade to do well in school. These things that just like take our attention, we start to like fill ourselves up with them. And maybe what are some other things that we might fill our souls with? Just yes, food. <laughs> fill ourselves up with food, literally and figuratively. Okay, filling ourselves up with just like Whatever it may be, all the stuff like the world throws at us, media, phones, uh, filling ourselves with phones and using them, social media. Okay, you can set it down. Thank you. Look at all this beautiful mess. Okay, thank you, evil. There's still a lot of evil left over. Okay, now God's going to cut. Wait, I'm going to do another. All right. So whatever it may be, all these things, you guys know what you're filling your souls with. Or at least you, you have an idea. You know what are the things you're spending your time with? What are the things that are preoccupying your thoughts? What are the things that are getting in the way? And next thing you know, the soul is full, right? 
This is like completely full. Your soul is like completely full of all this garbage and junk and dirt. Even like we said, it doesn't even have to be a bad thing like sports and food and um, academics. Like these aren't bad things. But we start to fill our souls with them so much that, can I have God now? Thank you. Um, so much that when we try to, when God tries to come in, when we were asking for God, like nothing's happening. There's no room for him, right? There's just like nothing there. I mean, there's a little on the top, yay. Um, but like, there's like nothing there. Thank you, volunteers. You guys can sit down. I totally, like, this happened at this camp. And I was just like, whoa, like that totally describes my life. Like I'm filling myself with all this stuff, with wanting attention, with wanting admiration, with wanting whatever it may be, with um, sports and academics, all these things I'm filling myself up with. And I'm wondering where the heck God is. Why isn't he speaking to me? Why can't I feel him? In reality, and it's because I'm full of all this junk. I'm full of all this dirt that's just getting in the way. And there's no room for God because I'm clinging on to all these other things. There's no room for him because I'm too preoccupied with myself and wanting to get attention, wanting to do well in sports, wanting to do well in school. All these things are just preoccupying. God's just wanting to dive in and pour himself out into us. And this is a journey I'm still on. This is a journey that, like all of you, I'll be on till the rest of my life. We're talking about this theme, empty. And it's a continual process. It's not just like a once-in-your-lifetime opportunity where you empty and then you're all good. We're constantly filling ourselves with junk. We're constantly being disrespectful, disobedient, unkind, rude, mean. We're constantly putting sports, school, friends ahead of God. I do it all the time. This is a constant battle we're on, but we need to allow ourselves to be empty. And the first step in that is to realizing it. The first step is recognition. What are those things in our life that we're filling ourselves with? What are the dirt, what's the dirt, the junk, all that stuff that is just corroding us, that's so, that's so important to us that we can't leave room for God? And who here doesn't want a better relationship with God? Like, none of you. I... It's been so powerful. Recently, I've just realized how awesome God is. Amen. I was at this event a few weeks ago where miracles literally took place in my life. Where miracles were literally taking place in front of my eyes. People being healed in front of my eyes. People who couldn't see being healed. People who couldn't move a limb being healed. People who have had pain for almost all their life being healed right in front of me because of Jesus. Like, that's power. That's the thing. That's what we want to have in our lives. Who doesn't want that? But we're like filling ourselves with all this stuff and there's no room for Jesus. So what's it going to take for us to stop? For us to just dump all this. I'm going to see if this actually dumps. What's it going to take for us to just like get rid of all the junk? It takes, first of all, it takes commitment on our part. Like I said at the beginning there, my dad said, I could talk up here forever. I could give a killer talk. I could like, be like the next prophet. I could be the next John the Baptist. But it'd still be up to each and every one of you what you get from it. I could speak words that God himself sent from on high and just out to you, and it could light up your day. But it's still up to you. What are you willing to give up for Jesus? Do you recognize the importance of a relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to you to have that relationship? What are you willing to give up for it? God's call, he just wants to pour down into us. And it's ourselves that are getting in the way. Uh, all of us have been wronged in our life. All of us have been hurt by others. And all of us hurt others. 
And a lot of times we unknowingly, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, hold on to these grudges or let them influence our opinions of others or how we interact with them. We let them kind of take over and cloud our judgment, cloud that all that. And that's starting to fill our, fill our cup. And it's getting in the way of God. God wants, is just like desiring this, like Niagara Falls of grace to just blow over us, to just fall down upon us and drench us in his love and his grace and his mercy. And like I said, we're, we have these like roadblocks on them. We have these logs that are just in the way of that, that Niagara Falls coming down, the super powerful source. God actually gave us the power to stop that. We can stop that in our lives. We are the ones placing the logs in front of that. So we're going to go through this exercise. I encourage you all to try it and stay focused for this. If you want, all of us want a better relationship with God, right? All of us want to feel his grace. This is what it takes to do. It's going to take challenge. It's going to take hurt. It's going to take discomfort. But it's something we need to do. To anyone in whom we've placed our trust, looked to for love, support, or encouragement, and they let us down, I forgive you. For anyone who lied to us or about us, anyone who gossiped about us, I forgive you. For anyone who has accused us of something or embarrassed us, I forgive you. And I want you guys to be thinking of um, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your friends, your acquaintances, your teachers, your neighbors, your coaches, whatever it may be. For anyone who has condemned us or used us, I forgive you. For anyone who's stolen something from us, or whether physically or spiritually or emotionally, or for anyone who's rejected us, I forgive you. For anyone who has physically, emotionally, or mentally hurt us in any way, I forgive you. Okay, but we all know that we are not the only ones who have been hurt. We are also the ones who hurt. And a lot of times our not recognizing it is getting in the way. So we're gonna do we're gonna go through the same list and this time we're gonna say instead of I forgive you, I am truly sorry. So for anyone who I, anyone who has put trust in us, look to us for love, support, or encouragement, and we've let them down. I am truly sorry. For anyone who we've lied to, gossiped about, I am truly sorry. For anyone who we have accused or condemned, I am truly sorry. For anyone whom we have rejected or who we've hurt physically, emotionally, or mentally, I am truly sorry. Okay, the other thing that gets in our way is Satan, right? Duh. Um, Satan likes to Whisper in, our whisper in our lives these lies that um, the devil is real, guys. Satan is real. And there's spirits about us fighting for our souls. And a lot of times we let these spirits, we allow them to kind of take control of us, to have too much influence over us. We have this awesome power that God gave us as his children to renounce Satan, to renounce his spirits. So I'm just going to say, um, for example, pride in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. And I just want you to repeat after me, okay? So, pride in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Depression in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Hatred and jealousy in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Self-pity and blame in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. And guys, for real, like, we're claiming freedom right now in these moments. Like, mean it when you say it. If you want these things gone, if they apply to your life, mean it. Because Jesus, if you truly mean it, these, these, this ugliness, this spirit will leave you. And you'll be free from these things that are controlling you. Rejection and humiliation, I renounce you. Insecurity and fear, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Disobedience and disrespect, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. All lies that Satan tells me, I renounce you. 
Guys, we are truly free. We are free in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brings us freedom. Amen. Jesus Christ brings us freedom. And we can claim that freedom or we can live continuing to fill ourselves with the junk. Nobody can choose that for us. Nobody has that control over us. It's always us. And like I said, that means sacrificing. It might mean hurt. It might mean um, dying to yourself. It might mean looking at yourself in a new way. What are the ways that we are hurting those around us? It's going to mean taking a step to do it. We can talk all we want about it, but what commitment are you going to make to actually empty yourself? Tonight, we're going to enter into um, a praise and worship experience where Jesus will be present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in front of us. Jesus Christ, the guy we're all looking to, the guy that sometimes we feel absent, we feel isn't there, is going to be present right in front of us. And it's up to us to receive him with open hearts. But we can't let these, we can't receive him if we're full of junk and dirt and mud. So my challenge to you tonight is one, go to confession. Priests love it. I've done it so many times. You, you see a priest and you're like, hey priest, uh, I need confession. And they're like, yeah, I love it. Like they love that. That's their job. Like they get fired if they don't do that. Um, just kidding. Priests don't get fired. That's the immediate way to just wipe away all dirt and junk. But there's a lot of times like, like we've seen here when we like, we dump all the junk out. A lot of times we hold on to like some different residue, right? And that is going to be one, through our habits. What are the things we're constantly doing over and over again? Two, um, like we've talked about, forgiveness and apology. There are people in your life who you have hurt. I challenge you guys to, when this is over, to go to one of those people who you've hurt and apologize for it. It could be something simple like being disrespectful, which isn't really simple, but being disrespectful to your parent or disobedient or unkind to a sibling. It could be something bigger like telling a friend, I'm sorry I gossiped about you or I'm sorry I lied about you or I'm sorry I wasn't there. Whatever it may be, I encourage each and every one of you to apologize because those are the steps that are going to be taken to clear you of the junk. So that wraps up today. I hope to see you all tomorrow where we talk about, John Paul will be talking about what it means to then fill yourself up after you've emptied. My name is John Paul, like my brother said. Um, I am a sophomore. I belong to the School of Home, so that's pretty legit. So I'm from a big family, although I feel like for some of you it would be considered pretty small, which is really awesome. Um, I'm one of six kids. So big family, that's fun. So there are some funny stories that can come with being in a big family, especially when you're younger. I'm sure many of you guys remember when you were little and You'd be outside, it's like all rainy, it's muddy, like again, Dominic and I would always play football in the mud, it gets super muddy, and then we'd come inside, have to clean up, literally like another hour later, we're outside playing in the mud again, we're all dirty. Um, and so how does this have to do with our spiritual lives? Um, after emptying ourselves of all the junk, so after getting our diapers cleaned, um, whether it be from the Sacrament of Reconciliation, um, or just accepting the forgiveness and beautiful mercy of God, um, we fall short, right? We're human. Um, we fall again, and many times we're tempted to give up, right? Like, we're just like, what's the point? There are so many times in my life where I clean myself, go to reconciliation, I feel so holy, right? And what happens? I leave the confessional, I fall again. Whatever it may be, gossip, lust, anything. And so then we ask the question, 
why should I go again? Why should I empty myself again if I'm just going to fall? And the point is so that we can be filled with the presence of God, not so that we won't fail, but so that we can recognize God's presence in our brokenness. Um, so that's the first step of filling is recognizing that we are broken. But why does God allow us to be broken? And it's honestly a beautiful thing. Everything God does has a reason and a purpose, and this purpose is so that we can accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. If we're not broken, we are not in need of a Savior. If we're not broken, we're not in need of Jesus. If we're not broken, we're not in need of God. It, um, another analogy is, imagine being, I'm sure this has happened to many of you, a little kid come up, comes up to you and hands you a painting. And it's all just scribbles and random colors thrown on paper, right? I think most of us or all of us have experienced that at one point in our lives. And to us, it's super important because it's from the child. It's from the child's heart. Even though if you went to some place to get it sold, they'd probably laugh in your face and be like, are you serious right now? Like you're trying to sell me scribbles. Um, but to you, it's a nearly priceless gift because of the child. It's scribbles, but what makes it beautiful is the gift. The, chil the child gives it to us. And um, we're called to give our scribbles to God. To him, our scribbles are masterpieces. To him, our brokenness is a beautiful sculpture. So that's the second step of being filled, is give. Give ourselves to God. So we have recognized that we are broken and give our brokenness to God. Let him work with our brokenness. Third step, prayer, intentional prayer. And when I say this, I'm not talking about just rattling off a bajillion Hail Marys. Um, while all the prayers that our church gives us are super powerful, we fall in the habit of taking them for granted. Um, we fall in the habit of just saying them, like repetitively, not having our hearts in the game. And like, I'm sure all of you, that's me, like every single day of my life. I try to like say a rosary a day, I get through it a lot of the times, but most of the time it's just like, wait, did I just like pray? What, what was I doing? Like you're praying, like Hail Mary, squirrel. <laughs> like that's, that's exactly how we are. And then we let our mind just drift. So I'm talking about intentional prayer. And meant for many of us, a lot of the times we, we say we're too busy to pray. My spiritual director has told me uh, this great advice that hurts. I'm sure people have told it to you guys before. But if we are too busy to pray, we're too busy, period. We have to set our priorities straight. Um, imagine if the person that you have like the biggest crush on, okay, um, asks you to go to like a football game or something. Aren't you going to set aside like a little bit of homework just so that you can be with this person um, for however long it may be? For most of us, I feel like that answer would be yes, just to be with them, to be in the presence of them. So if we would do that for our crush, how much more should we give to the God, the God who died for us? Crushes come and go. God's love doesn't. One of my favorite scripture passages it's in Matthew is when the disciples come up. It's really, I'm pretty sure it's in every gospel, but um, is when the disciples come up to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then he shares with them the Our Father. I just love that so much because I can relate too well. I don't know how to pray. Like you start and you're like, am I doing it right? Like, is God going to answer this? How do I, how do I do it? How we do it 
is again recognizing that we can't because when we recognize that, we become humble and God always blesses the humble. By kneeling down before our Lord and telling him, Lord, teach me how to pray. That in itself is a prayer. Pope JP too, he says that prayer is merely contemplating the face of Jesus. Prayer is the hardest thing to do, yet the gentlest thing to do. When I pray, I've learned from many people, from experience, not that I'm perfect. I fall short all the time, which I will share many times throughout this. But how I pray, how I've learned to pray, what works best for me is I let the Spirit lead. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I literally have a rosary in front of me when I pray. I have a Bible in front of me when I pray. I have a notebook in front of me when I pray. I have some spiritual reading in front of me when I pray. I have those all in front of me and I start out my prayer. Again, Lord, teach me how to pray. And if I feel like I should start the rosary, I'll start the rosary. If I'm halfway through decade number two and I feel called to pick up the Bible, I'll pick up the Bible. Let the Spirit lead. Whatever, a lot of times we question, what is the Spirit telling me to do? The Spirit in prayer a lot of times works through our desires. Um, and a lot of times if we're praying like the rosary and if we start to just like ramble off words and we begin, okay, I just kind of want to read something because I focus better when I read. Pick up the Bible. Pick up that spiritual, pick up that spiritual reading. So we, we have to let the Spirit lead uh, when we pray. Another thing is, if prayer is boring, it's not prayer, okay? The most beautiful prayer is the cross. Is the cross boring? Look over there, does that look boring? Is pain boring? It hurts. I wouldn't use the word boring. It's the most beautiful prayer, the prayer of suffering. And for many of us, when we say, I don't have the time to pray, it's because school gets in the way, right? What if I told you that school is prayer? What if I told you that walking to the next class is prayer? What if I told you that eating is prayer? What if I told you that your entire life is a prayer? Everything you do is a prayer. The question is, who are you praying to? Is it yourself? Is it God? Is it the devil? Everything is a prayer. We just have to lift it up to the one who saved us. Um, prayer isn't just us talking. It's also allowing God to speak. Now, this is something that has annoyed me many times because I've heard it many times. And people say, how we hear God speak is silence. I don't hear God speak in the silence. Be straight up with you. Most of the time, I don't hear God speak in the silence. But he does. And what it takes is perseverance. If God immediately, when we started praying, we heard him, wouldn't that be kind of, wouldn't that, couldn't that turn into a pride? Like, we would immediately just know God's there and we'd be like, oh, hey, I own my faith. That's pretty sweet. Um, we become self-righteous. We become selfish. So we need perseverance and patience and silence. Um, and God seriously does speak in the silence. He talks to us all the time. We just don't hear him, right? Our problem is hearing him. And I just wanted to read you scripture passages from 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, the prophet Isaiah, okay? So he hears God in the silence. And you guys are like, he's a prophet. That's what they do. They hear God talk. Um, but fun fact, we are actually all prophets by virtue of our baptism. So if your parents ask you one thing that you learned from this talk, you can say, well, I'm a priest, prophet, and a king. And so are you. So that's pretty legit. Um, so 
First Kings chapter 19. It's one of my favorite scripture passages, everything that I'll mention. It says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord will pass by. There was a strong and violent wind rending the mountains and crushing rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a light, silent sound. God is in the silence. And how can we hear him when we're surrounded by so much noise, right? There's noise all around us. Think about it. Who has social media here? Okay. I don't have social media. Really, I, I mean, I have an email. That barely counts, and that still distracts me. Like, the constant, and I know, like, from hearing so many people talk, like, they come over to, like, my house, they get on their phones, and, like, they're just scrolling through an infinite amount of just posts, status updates, whatever the heck it may be. There's just noise all around us, and that noise gets in the way of us hearing from God. We have to learn to set things aside. It gets distracting when we're praying because we have the phone by us. Literally set the phone in another room. There have been times where, like, I have a computer in front of me. I don't even have a phone. I just want to say that. I, I have, like, nothing, and I still get distracted by it. And there have been times when I'm praying, and it's just like, all right, this is just distracting me too much. I literally have to, like, shut it down, put it in, like, the opposite side of the house, and continue praying. So this passage goes on to say, Elijah hid his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He's scared of the silence. And if we're scared of the silence, aren't we also scared of God? A voice said to him, why are you here, Elijah? I'm going to end it with that for that scripture. Um, why are you here? That's another question to ask. Why do you want to be filled? And I'm not going to provide you with an answer for that because that's a personal thing that you have to answer yourself. Um, but seriously, think about that. In adoration tonight, I want you to meditate. Why are you here? He thirsts for that conversation. Jesus Christ thirsts for it. There are so many times when I hear stories um, of children that grow up, they hit 18 or whatever it may be, then they leave their parents. They go on, get married, ignore their parents. For many times, like for us, it's like, we do that. There are so many people that grow up ignoring their parents. Let's not be that child with such a loving father. Recognize that we are broken. Give God our brokenness, prayer, and then community. Okay, what, what other kind of word correlates with community? It's in the mass. What is it? Who knows? Got it. God is a God of communion. He's a God of community. Because his love is constantly overflowing, we need more than just ourselves. We have an inherent need for community. One of the first times I was in like a major kind of Catholic community, um, it's called CYSC. It's only been like 48 hours since registration has opened and they're already over half full. So that's really sweet. Uh, CYC, I get in there and there's like just a bunch of like the staffers that are like super joyful and are like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, this is weird. You're too happy. Like, I don't know what they do there, but they give them too much happy gas or something. Um, so as I was like, 
weirded out, I recognized like over the week, like, wow. Like I recognized that I was letting everything that mattered to me just sit inside me lying dormant. All my sins, not that they mattered, but I let them stay inside. God, who really does matter, I let him stay inside. I let everything stay inside me. I was like a robot going through the motions. I, I, I was nothing. So I let everything inside me lie dormant, sizzling in a muck of sin. Sin makes us boring. Amen? <laughs> it's like, in all seriousness, sin makes us boring. We become super narrow-minded, we become selfish, and we become insanely uninteresting. Sin makes us boring. It is the saints who are fully alive. And what makes a saint a saint? Who knows what saint literally means? Yes, it literally means holy. It comes from the Latin root um, sanctus, um, which means holy. Um, so like, you know, if you go to mass and like they sing something in Latin, you'll always hear like sanctus, 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 tell me new status. Okay, anyways, I love Latin. Um, so, um, yeah, it's being holy. And what comes with holiness is love. It's love, and for me especially, it's joy. I've always been attracted to the virtue of joy, like so much that uh, my confirmation name is Philip, St. Philip Neri, who is the saint of joy. And I see that if someone has joy, they want to know why they're so joyful, why they're so happy. And true joy can only come from God because it's a virtue and everything holy comes from God. Without a community, I would have never realized that. I, I honestly would have never realized that saints are fully alive. So many times we see them as just kind of boring people who just rejected their deepest desires, right? But in reality, it's us that keep our desires kept. It's us who suppress our desires. So many times we see our desires as unholy. The truth is, C.S. Lewis talks about it a bit, um, is that true holiness isn't suppressing desires. Evil isn't letting our desires flow. What's wrong with mankind is that our desires aren't strong enough. Our desires are not strong enough. And again, without a community, I never would have realized that. Even Jesus recognized the need for community. Just look at the disciples, right? He comes down to earth. He's like just the most savage dude to ever live. He doesn't need anything. But God has a reason and a purpose for everything. And what does Jesus do? He goes out and forms a community of disciples. And there are three major kind of community of disciples that we have in our own lives, or at least that are striving or should be striving to be disciples. So first, we have a church, right? Jesus Christ, knowing that we need a map to him, knowing that we need a map to heaven, um, gave us his church. He died for this church, um, and we are the church. And again, the map, uh, Matthew Kelly talks about how so many people are just like, like, it's just so old, like, you guys need to grow up. The Catholic Church needs to grow up. And it's a map. And would you throw away an old map if it leads to a treasure? The treasure that the Catholic Church leads to is heaven. A church um, is a community of people. And we are united through the sacraments. Look to your left and right. This is our community. We have brothers and sisters that are standing for us to support us, to hold us accountable. We have our back, 
Um, for me, like, I went to CYSC this past year again. It was my second year. And what stood out for me this year compared to last year, while both were amazing, is this year I had more people that I came with. And a lot of the guys, we just forged a brotherhood. And in the past however, month, however many months it's been, um, that brotherhood has not broken. It's grown. Um, it's kind of like, while it's not marriage, um, in, in the sacrament of marriage, in the rite of um, marriage, it says what God has joined, no man can separate. And God for sure joined this brotherhood. And there's no way hell can get in there unless we all allow it. But I have this brotherhood, and many of you, I'm sure, have a group of friends, of sisters, um, to help each other. So we have each other. And lastly, and this one's the most hard, I believe, is we have a family. For many of us, I'm sure our families are broken. For others, everything may seem to be going pretty okay. But God gave us a family for a reason and a purpose. The Catholic Church actually calls the family the domestic church. It's a church that needs to be nurtured. Mass impact, which is kind of like the thing that's like leading this sweet parish mission. What we have is, it's called the Livet Gathering Guide. Who's heard of the Livet Gathering Guide? Okay, most of you and not all of you. That's cool. The Livet Gathering Guide is um, a bunch of questions to help to get each, to know each other better. Um, because as a church and as a community, you can't have community without communion, and you can't have communion without conversation. We need to converse with each other. And many times we don't, right? If I asked one of you, what is your younger sister going through in this moment? What's, what's one of like, her biggest challenges? I'm sure many of us wouldn't know. But we are a church and we're called to support each other. So the Live It Gathering Guide, it's really sweet. And I, I can tell you, it has helped our family a lot. Without it, like, honestly, I treat like women outside my family like with a ton of respect. But inside my family, I don't because they live with me and I get annoyed with them. Um, and the Live It Gathering Guide, not that I'm perfect and it's still a work in progress, but I've learned to respect them um, with a lot as much respect as I would um, my sisters in Christ. So uh, Live It Gathering Guide has questions, victories, challenges, something new or meaningful, um, someone you'd like to affirm, maybe a blessing. Um, and then it's all, it also has like scripture readings, right? It's really sweet. So who's heard of Lexio Divina? Okay, it's basically like quiet yourself, you read scriptures, um, and you meditate upon it. And then if you're in a, with a group of people, you usually talk about what struck you in that reading. Um, and the Living Gathering Guide has that, like the readings from the upcoming Sunday to talk with your family about. I, I seriously encourage your family to do it. It's going to be uncomfortable, but when... It'd be awesome if when you reach heaven, God will be like, your siblings and parents are here because of you. Like, that would be really sweet. That's that for community. Um, then the last point I'd like to make is the point of love. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So right here gives us a clear answer of what fills us, the entire purpose of this talk. It says the love of Christ. 
It's love that fills us. And I was meditating about this a couple of days ago, and I wrote this down, um, so I'm going to read it to you. Lord, help me to be planted and built on love. Lord, let me always have an undying joy in the love of Christ. The love that fills, the love that saves, the love that bought me freedom. Lord, let me always thirst for love and thirst for others being brought to the love of Jesus Christ. So, love each other. Love your families. Love your classmates. Be a vessel filled with love. Be the light that shines with love. Um, we're all pumpkin Christians. Um, now that sounds really funny, but I decided to give that analogy because you're close to Halloween. What do we do with a pumpkin? We cut it open and we scoop out all the seeds. That's emptying. But if we just leave it like that, what's the point? We fill it with a candle. We light the candle. And if the candle is just in there and there's only the top cut open, what good is it gonna do? It's like the light underneath the bushel basket that it talks about in the sacred scriptures. So we have to cut open a face so that the light may shine through. Our faces must be faces of love and of joy. So kind of cheesy thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I looked up, so again, it's recognize, give, prayer, community, and love. So R-G-P-C-L. So I was curious if that meant anything, like just like that acronym or whatever. <laughs> And it means rigid gas permeable contact lenses. So if your parents ask what you learned here, or just whoever asked, just say, hey, I learned about contact lenses. Um, but now for the really cheesy part, okay? For people that are blind like myself, no, I'm not blind, we need glasses so that we can see clearly, or contact lenses. And to be filled after being emptying, we need to put on those contact lenses, okay? so that we can see the love of Christ more clearly, so that it can fill us and eventually overflow to others, which is what we'll talk about tomorrow.